Welcome to the Dream Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. So go to Song of Songs 1. Thank you, Ellington, for the lights. Uh, hey, let me just honor this too. Uh, we have a new full-time staff member at the church, Ellington. So I'm so excited. It's going to be cool. <laughs> Be surprised how I many how in the world are y'all doing the Lord? Um Thank you, Kyle. All right. Let's go to Song of Songs one. I'm gonna read a couple things, and I promise you we're gonna get past verse one today. So here we go. I shouldn't promise stuff. Um Yeah, let's just start at Song of Songs one. I'm gonna read I'm actually gonna just stop at the first verse, but we're not gonna stop there long. Here we go. Um the second verse. The most amazing song of all by King Solomon, and this is the Shulamite, okay? So this would be us. Let him smother me with kisses, his spirit kiss divine. I'm not going to go through a lot of review today. Um, Go back, if you weren't here last week, uh, go back and just listen to the podcast. Song of Songs is, is the most holy book in your whole Bible, and it's the one that none of us have heard. Okay? So... The book of Song of Songs, I agree with early Jewish writing that said Solomon prophesied this book when the dedication of the temple happened, the Holy Spirit falls, the presence of God falls, all the priests fall on their face in reverence, and Solomon stands up and prophesies what is believed, Song of Songs. I'm all in with that. I've prayed about it. I feel great about that. But this is a book where Jesus is trying to take us beyond simply what we know of love through the Gospels, and he's trying to take that and create a root system underneath the whole Gospel narrative that says the whole reason I did all of that was because I see you as this. Because our, 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 our understanding of the Gospel up to this point, whether that be how you grew up or just because just we just don't know, is that Jesus came to set the world right because he had to. You know what I mean? That's, that's how we've always viewed it, is, or at least that's how I viewed it, is Jesus came, he died on the cross because he had to take care of the sin that Adam and Eve brought into the world because he created us, it's his problem, so now he's got to fix it. That's kind of how we viewed it, all right? Then when somebody begins to introduce the idea that maybe he actually went to the cross, not because he felt like he had to, but because he was willing to lose everything if he got the chance at you again. And, and you start to see that, and I said this last week, that when Jesus dies, he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Into your hands I commend my spirit. It is finished. He said a Hebrew word, and I, I'm just, I keep hitting this. Your dad kind of made fun of it at the wedding the other night. I hit it at the wedding too. He, he does not say to die. Jesus did not speak Greek. Okay? That's a translation. When they wrote the, the New Testament in Greek, the book of John, that's the word. That's the translation. Jesus in Hebrew said, Kali. That's actually, if you were there watching the whole, Jesus die on the cross, watching everything happen, you would have heard the audible word from Jesus' mouth, Kali, and then die. Or give up his spirit. Kali has two meanings. It is finished and bride. So he, so he wasn't, and this, I know this is a little bit of review. He wasn't just saying, I did it, it's done. He wasn't saying what he did. He was actually saying what he did and who he did it for, bride. Okay? Y'all with me? Y'all tracking? All right, good, good. So, Song of Songs 1. The most amazing song of all by King Solomon, let him smother me with kisses, his spirit kiss divine. That word kisses is similar to the Hebrew word that means to take a drink of wine. So it's literally, she's literally saying she wants to get drunk on his kisses. The word is neshak, the Hebrew word neshak, can also mean to equip or arm for battle. So, so what she's saying, if you take all the meanings, she's saying she wants to be drunk on his kisses, which will arm her for battle. So let me just ask it. We, we talked about new wine a lot towards the end of last year. And what I've started to ask the question to the Lord, hypothetically, because I know the answer to it, 
is what if the new wine that we've been talking about is actually his kiss? When I say, when, if you, I know some of y'all missed last week. When I say his kiss, I mean Jesus, in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve. When God breathed into Adam, he did not go. That's, that's what we all think, right? He didn't, he didn't, he wasn't Adam way over there. Here's God. And then all of a sudden, Adam's just like, if I'm going to breathe, let's say my wife, if I'm going to breathe into my wife to the point that my breath becomes her breath, what do I have to do? I have to kiss her. Right? I mean, that's not, that wasn't like a trick question or anything. So I have to kiss. So God raised Adam up kissed him, breath of life, and then Adam became in the image of God. Then, if you go on in John, Jesus rises from the dead, he comes to his disciples, and then what does he do? Breathes on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you the question again. Does Jesus stand at a distant distance and just start blowing the power of wind to them? Or does he do what he even did to Judas when Judas was betraying him, give him a kiss? Is it, in our culture, when I use the word kiss in this way, it sounds real weird. If you go to Israel or any other culture, this, this is just, oh yeah, that makes sense. Okay, So be really cautious when we're looking at scripture that we don't filter them through America. Because that's gotten us in a lot of trouble. You know what I'm saying? The kingdom is not a democracy. I was listening, you know this whole impeachment j- junk going on right now? You know all this stuff going on in Washington? Right? Right? Um, I, it makes me, also, I love the fact that my tax dollars are going to this. But anyway, so I, w- I was just on the way home one day just listening to what was going on. And I heard somebody say, we are America. We are a sovereign people. And I thought about this, and what he went on to explain was that in America, the way government is set up is the people are the sovereign ones in America. We make the decisions. We vote for presidents. We vote for Congress, all that stuff. And something hit me in my spirit as I heard that. I think because we have viewed God through the lens of America, we've approached the kingdom as if the kingdom is also a democracy. And it ain't. He's calling the shots, not us. Who am I to step into his church and tell him how he's going to move, how much time he has to move, what ways he needs to move? If he doesn't move like this, we're going to shut him down. Who am I to do that? This is his church, and this is not a democracy. I don't have a say. My job is to stand here and be a megaphone for what Jesus actually wants to tell his people. That's what, why, why, why do you say some of the stuff you say? It's not because I want to, and it's not because I think we're going to build a church off of some of this stuff. Because sometimes the Lord wants to say stuff, and as soon as I release it from my mouth, I'm like, well, Lord, there goes all of our new people. But in that moment, I've got to make a decision. Either I'm going to make this a democracy that then I have to uphold, or I'm going to allow the king to be the king and me be one that simply stands in awe of all that the king has to say. Don't you think that when Jesus said, eat my flesh or drink my blood or you'll have no part in me, that all the disciples said, Jesus, of all the stuff you could have said, why? There goes all our people, 20,000 people. There they go. Right? What would make Jesus say stuff like that? Unless he was looking for the handful that said, I don't understand fully what you just said, but your words hold the key to eternal life. Where else would we go? Do you understand? When Jesus begins to speak things like, through the book of Song of Songs, inviting us to say, let him smother me with kisses. We can have two reactions. That's weird. Let's go back to John. Or we can say, I don't fully understand that, but your words hold the key to eternal life. Where else would I go? I heard this this morning. When when the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit falls, there's 120. Okay? A tiny church. 120 people. The Holy Spirit falls falls, and Peter has the audacity to step out and say, this 
is that that was prophesied by the prophet Joel. Now, now just think about this. The prophet Joel prophesied, in the last days I'll pour my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men see visions. Old men dream dreams. He keeps going. Peter steps out on the day of Pentecost. Remember, just 120 people. And he says, you know that gigantic prophecy about all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What you're seeing right now with these 120, this is what Joel was talking about. What? Yeah. Do you understand this? That made no sense in the culture unless they had a posture that said, what I felt in that room is enough to change the globe. 120 people with fire dancing on their head was enough to change the entire globe. We're doing this today in 2020 because of those 120 that weren't content saying, all right, he ascended, let's keep going back to the synagogue, doing our thing. No, they said... He died, and now I'm going to give him the reward for his suffering. I'll stay in this room the rest of my life if that's what it takes. And then they receive something. So I think what this book of Song of Songs has been doing in me, not just what it has been doing in me, is it's making me question how I approach everything in the kingdom, specifically what are the pieces that I approach God with a apathetic halfway heart that if he comes through on or if he moves on great, if not, I'm just going to keep doing my thing. Because what he's trying to do today, and this is what the message is, is he's trying to transform us and our world from the inside out. In America, we live outside in. In other words, whatever I see, I'm going to proceed based on what I see. In other words, I'm going to move by my circumstances rather than move and trust that my circumstances are going to follow how I move. So there's this movie, Inside Out. Uh, anybody, have any, has anybody seen this? Yeah, okay, four people. Okay, all, all, everybody who has kids or is around kids. So um, <laughs> anyway, there's this movie, Inside Out, and the whole, it's a really great movie, but the whole movie is about how there's this girl, I think her name's Riley, right? Yeah, um, not, not that it matters. It, this girl named Riley, and from the time she's a baby all the way through to the end, she has these five emotions that are inside of her that are basically ruling her life. So she has a thought that, you know, she goes to school and she has this bad day, and all of a sudden they'll bring up a memory that, you know, kind of takes her in a different direction or, or whatever. So anyway, the whole point of the whole movie is that, and they do a really good job, is that there are realities on the inside of us that actually dictate the outside of us. You know what I'm saying? How you, so if you respond in a situation in anger, there is nothing on your outside that is telling you, holding a gun to your head, you've got to be angry at this. There's something on the inside of you that hasn't submitted to peace and then responds in anger, which then manifests in an outward situation. But it all starts in here. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Not what the mouth speaks, the heart is full of. Out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. So, if he's going to do what I believe he wants to do in us, it is going, how do I say this? It's going to invite us into thinking a radical, opposite way of everybody else around us. When I was a kid, and I grew up very different than most of y'all, when I was a kid, we went to uh, church all the time. That was, that was all we did. And it was a tiny church in Ware Shoals, South Carolina, probably 45 minutes, an hour away. Um, not, most of y'all don't even know that there is a Ware Shoals, South Carolina, probably. It's tiny, tiny town. And so my grandparents were the first uh, pastors to have a church that had mixed races. I mean, it, it was in that area, in that time, you still had all white churches, all black churches. They couldn't go together. And so my grandparents would get, sh you know, their house would get shot at by the KKK, and they try to run them off road and all this other crazy stuff. But we went to church, and we saw God move in ways that made the book of Acts look like an intro. I mean, we saw literally, and I've shared the story before, but if you weren't, it was wood-paneled walls all across, and the, the actual auditorium was probably half the size of this room. 
um, and it, it was like 15, 20 people in the church. And uh, there were wood panel walls all around, and literally the walls were covered in casts and crutches and wheelchairs and neck braces and all this other stuff where God had healed people in a service in a moment and so they wouldn't go back to how they were before, we would literally, in the service, nail them to the wall and say, like, it is finished, it's done, you know? And I don't did you ever see that church? This is my cousin. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, so anyway. Uh, so we went to church, and uh, we, we scheduled vacation to make sure we didn't miss church. I mean, we would go to vacation, like, Monday through Saturday, and I don't care if we got back at 3 in the morning. That next morning, we are going to church. If we got to drag you, you're going to church. If we were sick, you definitely were going to church. You know what I mean? Like, there were multiple Sundays. They'd be like, <coughs> they'd be like all right, get up. I guess you're wearing pajamas to church. And, and I remember I had, a, I had a stomach issue. Could not use the bathroom. I don't know what the issue was at this point, but I was like three or four. And I went to a doctor for a year, and they could not figure it out. And one Sunday, my dad said, we're dealing with this today. I don't know if they're, they're probably watching this right now. And uh, you know the little uh, tables in the front of the church that says, in remem- remembrance of me, you know, the old, you know, old school wooden ones? Um, some of y'all young people are like, I don't know what that is. That's where we used to do communion, and then we just kind of left. I don't even know what, the, what it was for the rest of the time. But, uh, but anyway, at the end of the service sat me on this table, remember I'm a kid, and this lady, Sister Mildred, I've told you about her, you talk about fire, she had fire, she walked up and prayed, I'll never forget this moment, I was terrified, she walked up and got some oil, I mean slathered me, laid hands on me, and she said, you will go home, and from now on, you'll be normal, today, you're going to go home and be normal, I was like, all right, went home, been healed ever since. So why do I say that? So I, I played I played football, and on Sundays we had our longest practices. And when I say I played football, like I was on my way to Clemson to play football. It was it was my dream, and uh, we had practices on Sundays from like noon to you know six p.m. or something. The longest practice of the week. I was only able to be there like one hour because we had church in the morning, and Lord help us, church at night. The all da- two services in a day? What? And uh, and so I couldn't go to practice the whole day. I was average at basketball because I lived in Kentucky, and everybody's great at basketball in Kentucky. And uh, I I didn't make it in basketball. Do you know why I didn't make it in basketball? Because in order to make it in basketball, you had to play AAU, and to play AAU, you had to play on Sundays. So my parents said, "You will not be on an AAU team because you will not miss church." And I laid basketball down. Why am I saying this? It's because when, when I was growing up, you know what it took to get people to church? Nothing. Nobody had to call me and invite me and offer me lunch and offer me free gift cards and T-shirts and bribe me to get to church. Nobody had to do that. It was parents saying, I don't care how tired you are or how sick you are. We're going to church. So why am I so passionate and why am I the man I am today? Because my parents refused to let the outside culture dictate our interior world. Today, it's, it's flipped on its side. If we got time for church, we'll make it. If not, sorry, I'll get you next week or Christmas. Why am I saying that? Because I am madly in love with the one who is so madly in love with you, he's not okay with you being at a distance. If you're what he is not okay with you approaching him as if he's 10 billion miles that way and you're way down here and you're still just a sinner saved by grace and I hope that he'll have enough love and hope and joy and peace for me today to get me through this day cuz this job is killing me. That that's not what he wants. He wants you to be so satisfied by him that if it takes every single thing you have to be face-to-face with him, you're willing to freely give it up because he satisfies all the things that we are searching for in the culture right now. Why do people look at porn? Because they're not satisfied in intimacy with him. Why do people chase after jobs? Because they're not satisfied in intimacy with him. Uh, that's the answer. Why, why are we killing babies? At an astronomical rate. 
because people aren't satisfied with him and stepping into covenant that honors God to the point that when a baby enters the picture, you don't want to give it up. <clears throat> we, I, I promise I'm moving. We, this is, let me just say this last thing and then we're going to go on. Okay, this isn't even my, this is just, just prophetic rambling. Uh, <laughs> y'all doing good? Okay. We, we see, this is how we see things. I, I need, um, I, no, okay. This is how we see, we see, this is God. I should have my whiteboard today. This, this is how we see life. This is God. This is the devil. This is us. That's, that's how we typically, that's how we see stuff, Right? So the reason we're so we're so um, fascinated with spiritual warfare is we literally believe God, Satan, are equal, and every day there's a battle between those two, and we don't know who's going to win today. That's that's I mean that's literally what we believe. You know, so we see God here, devil here. Now, if you move beyond that, this is where some people see it. We see it like this. God's here, devil's here, and we're right beside him here. So if you move beyond the first, we don't move into truth. We actually move into, I guess, a better version of a, of a lie, which is that the devil's equal to us. You know what I mean? We see him as equal to God, and then once we get off of that, then we think, well, I guess he's equal to us now because we're way below God down here. And here's reality. Here's God. And then he chose to elevate you here right beside him. And the devil's not even on the map. He's locked up. He, I mean, he, he's nowhere. Do you understand this? What does it mean when it says you are seated in heavenly places? What, what does that mean? What does it mean when you were co-heirs seated with Christ? What, what, do, you, what do we think that means? We're, we're seated with Christ. Right? Is he, does Jesus lose one ounce of sleep thinking about the devil? No. Why do we? Okay. That went over like a lead balloon. <clears throat> Your greatest weapon is not a sword. It's a kiss. If we could ever stop swinging swords at things and allow him to kiss us, we would find ourselves a lot more rested and a lot more victorious. If David, David had laid his sword down, David would have been the one to build the temple. But the Lord says, you have too much blood on your hands, but you're going to give birth to a son whose name is Peace, Solomon, and he'll build my temple. In other words, if you had just laid your sword down and trusted, I'll take care of the rest, you could have built my temple. And so we have a lot of people who are on opposite ends of the spectrum today. We have those who spend their whole lives swinging swords and those who don't care enough to do anything, really. And there's a sweet spot in the middle where it says, I don't think about the devil ever. I don't think about sin ever. Why? Because I'm too busy being fascinated with his kisses on a daily basis. <clears throat> verse 4, here we go. Let me start at verse 3 and then we'll go to verse 4. All right. So kind are your caresses. I drink them in like the sweetest wine. Verse 3. Your presence releases fragrance so pleasing over and over poured out for your name, for your lovely name is flowing oil. No wonder the brides to be adore you. Draw me into your heart. We will run away together into the king's cloud-filled chamber. Everything starts with a desire to let him kiss you and then draw you near. That's how this starts. She asked to be drawn to him, not him drawn to her. I mean, this is really important. I'm, I'm about to move on, but let's, she does not say, draw near to me, at least in my translation. She says, draw me into your heart. Pull me where you are, not you come down where I am. Why is this so important? Because there's a shift in her perspective, and you're about to see where she is. Right now, she's burned out. She's down. She all because of doing ministry, and we're about to show this. She's burned out, and she doesn't say, "Come, help me." He, and he'll do that. She instead says, "Pull me up to where you are," because if I could ever get where you are, I'll never find myself in this situation again. 
to be with him, we'll also need a willingness, willingness to let him take us where he is. That's why it talks about us being co-heirs and seated with him. He's not seated with us. We're seated with him. Are y'all with me? Are y'all good? Y'all following? Tracking? Great. Uh, and then just a quick note. Uh, the king's cloud-filled chamber it talks about is literally the holy of holies. It's the chamber within the chamber. So she says, draw me into you. We'll run away together into the holy of holies. Another way you could say that. All right. <clears throat> Here we go. Uh, let me read on, and this is where the whole bulk of the message is, and that was a lot of Maya rambling, so I'm not going to ramble a lot anymore. Maybe. We will, run, we will remember your love, rejoicing and delighting in you, celebrating your every kiss is better than wine. No wonder righteousness adores you. I want you to see what's about to happen. There's about to be a conversation between the Shulamite, who represents us, and the shepherd king, who represents Jesus. If you're reading this in the Passion Translation on the Bible app, it actually has the words in red. I love I, That is so cool to me. So, uh, anyway, verse 5, listen, listen to the difference in how she sees herself and how he sees her. Same person. Jerusalem maiden, maidens, in this twilight darkness, I know I am so unworthy, so in need. He responds and says, yet you are so lovely. She says, I feel dark and dry as the desert tents of wandering nomads. He says, yet you are so lovely like the fine linen tapestry hanging in the holy place. She says, please don't stare in scorn because of my dark and sinful ways. Listen, my angry brother's quarreled with me and appointed me guardian of their ministry vineyards, yet I've not tended my own vineyard within. Won't you tell me, lover of my soul, where do you feed your flock? Where do you lead your beloved ones to rest in the heat of the day? For I wish to be wrapped all around you as I wander among the flocks of your shepherds this is my favorite verse in the whole book. It's you I long for with no veil between us. There's a huge back and forth right here that is key to the whole book. The book starts out with her saying, I'm unworthy, I'm in need, I'm dark, and I'm dry. He sees the same person in the same situation in the same stage of life and says, you are so lovely. Anytime you look in the mirror or you think, man, man, I've just, I've just done it again. I'm lost. I'm dry. I'm whatever. I want you to begin hearing the whisper, yet you are so lovely. She sees herself as unworthy. He sees her as lovely. How can they have two totally different perspectives of the same verse, of the same person, excuse me? If you continue on, we see that her brothers made her guardian of their ministry vineyards, as it says. And then she admits, I've done that. I've done their ministry vineyards, but I have failed to tend my own vineyard within. The health of your interior world, your vineyard within, your eternal self, will always determine how you view the world around you, primarily yourself. I'll say this one more time. I don't think that hit. The health of your interior vineyard will always determine your view of the world around you, primarily your view of yourself. I said this last week, but let me just hit this real, one more time. I know no one who has a thriving relationship with Jesus that views themselves as unworthy, in need, dry, and dark. I don't, I don't know anybody, and if, if there are people out there, uh, that's awesome, I'd love to meet you. There's nobody that I've met that has a true, authentic, thriving rela relationship with Jesus that walks around saying, man, I'm nothing. He don't heal anymore. He's not good. He don't speak anymore. I, I don't, 
Everybody you meet that has a thriving relationship with Jesus looks different. They've been transformed. They've been sozoed. Right? However, we have a lot of people in our body, not in this church, in the body of Christ, in the church today, that are walking around as if something horrible just happened to them, and it's because they have not fully submitted to the transformation love of Jesus that wants to take their old life and give them a new life. Take my load, it's easy, and it's light. Let me, let me just read this real quick. Uh, Matthew, I think I have it marked. I think I have it marked. Please tell me I do. And if not, then I'll just tell you what it says in the, in the message. Oh, yeah, here, here we go. Matthew 11, listen to how he says this. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. He's, are, you ty- are you burned out? Do you, are, do you got some religion thing going on that tells you you should just carry your burdens? That literally, we, th- the, we think the kingdom works like this. We used to sing this, this southern gospel song, uh, the God in the good times is the God in the bad times. Do, do y'all, does anybody else know this song? The God of the day is the God of the night. What kind of gospel is that? Right? I'm convinced. I used to sing Southern Gospel like it's nobody bi- nobody's business. And I'm going back looking at some of those songs I used to just, just sing and sing and sing. I'm thinking, who wrote those? Lord, help us. <laughs> the, the, we think the kingdom just like, last time I checked, he talked about glory to glory. He didn't say glory to rain, glory to storm, glory to valley, but at least I'll be with you through it. He said glory to glory. If we are settling for a version of the kingdom that sends us through the valley every two months, we have settled for an inferior version of the gospel, and I would even question if that's the gospel at all. You should hear freedom in that, not condemnation. Hear freedom that you could be walking through. Jesus was in a boat sound asleep while the rain was hitting the boat so hard the others thought they were going to drown. It wasn't just some rain. It was this thing was getting demolished, and he's asleep. Jesus, do you not care? Don't you care that I just lost my job? Don't you care that I just lost this relationship I cared a lot about? Don't you care about my past? Don't you care about what I'm walking through? Don't you care about the relationships that I'm with right now that I know I don't? Don't you care about any of this stuff? And he's sound asleep. And he says, all right, let's do this. Hush. Did you, that, did you know that's the translation? He, he, he does not say, be still. He, he literally, the translation should have, it should have said in your Bibles that Jesus said, hush. Stop. Then he turns around. Where's your faith? That's what he said. He didn't say, man, thank y'all for waking me up. That was a close one. Whew. You know, was he? he said, hey, where's y'all's faith? Why'd you wake me up? Why didn't you tell it to hush? So he, that's what he, what he asked where their faith was because they didn't tell it to hush before they came and woke him up terrified. What's he saying is you could walk through what everybody else is freaking out about and be sound asleep. Because the power within you is the same power that raised Christ Jesus from death. That, that should have hit a lot harder than it did. And that's, that, that explains right there what I just said, the state of where we are. That, that 
the same power that raised Christ Jesus from a tomb three days after being dead is the power that is currently living in you. All right. Well, I'll just get excited about that. Um, we will always start seeing ourselves as what we are not, which is what she was, when we stop tending our vineyard within. We stop tending our vineyard within primarily because of busyness. This is what I want to talk about today. Busyness deals with only outward appearances. Nobody's busy because they like being busy. The only reason you're busy is because you don't trust if you're not burning it on both ends that he's going to come in and fill the gaps where you actually be still and know that he's God. So because we don't trust God, we just start getting busy trying to do what God is actually wanting to do for us if he would ever sit still. Busyness only deals with outward appearances. You have complete authority to say no to the devil as much as you have the authority to say no to something you don't have time for. I heard somebody, uh, a pastor, a friend last week, uh, we were talking, and he said, uh, man, I'd love to do, and we, we were talking about something that we do and, you know, different things. He's like, man, I'd love to do that. I just don't have time. I love, I love to be able to spend that much time. I just don't have time to do it. And so I left. I was like, you don't have time. Like, you choose how you spend your time. Right? Nope, nobody's, no, nobody's holding a gun to your head saying, if you don't work on Sundays, then you're not going to live. You're not going to make it. Nobody's doing that. We don't trust enough to say, I'm going to take us and make sure my interior world gets transformed. I'm going to be at church, and if it costs me my job, he'll just give me one better. That's Because that's what we did when I was a kid. But what we do today is say, I don't trust, I think God's 12 billion miles out in space in, on Pluto or something is way out there. And because he's at a distance, I've got to get busy and make sure this thing happens. And he's saying, no, 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 no. The minute you get busy is the minute that you take control of your life. And as long as you're in control of your life, you have to carry the load of the burden that you are in control of. But when he takes control of your life, he gives you his load, which is free and light. The only way you get a free light load is if you make the decision to exchange the heavy load that you're carrying. How much trust does it take for you to take a thousand pound load and say, I'm just going to hand it over to you and trust it's all going to be taken care of? That takes trust. You've got to know he's good if you're going to give up that. But if you give that thing up, you'll inherit a life where you begin to live happy and free and light I would, I would argue from the writings that we have, most of your New Testament was written under severe persecution. Paul wrote some of the stuff he wrote, being in prison, being beaten, being threatened with his life. That's how we get most of our Bible. So I would argue that you can take their account of things and the situations they were under when they were writing what we have and say they had complete peace even facing severe persecution. In other words, when people started threatening them, we're going to pull you apart with horses, which is what happened. If you don't renounce the gospel, they were like, that's all right. They, they, they had no load on them but free and light. Take my life. I gave it away a long time ago anyway. You can have it. You know what I'm saying? Today, we'd be like, yeah, man, that's nothing. That's crazy. They're crazy. You know, right? Because we don't trust the one that operates off of trust. The kingdom operates off of trust and faith. You remove faith and trust, and you remove the bridge that takes you from on earth to heaven. That, that is the bridge. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Hope for it and the assurance of things not seen. 
So to get from where we are to the things that we have yet to see, it requires faith. Nothing requires faith that is a surefire guarantee you know how everything is going to turn out. Are, y- are y'all with me? Y'all still with me? We ended worship so early, so I got so much time. Um, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> we'll, say, we'll say, if I don't do X, whatever it is, I won't be able to do what God has called me to do. In ministry, that's what. It, if I don't do this and this and this and this, I won't be able to do what God's called me to do. I, you, you'd be so surprised how many times. It, last time I read in Jeremiah, let me just, let me just give you this first. Jeremiah one twelve says this: The Lord watches His word to perform it and fulfill it. Not us. The Lord speaks a word, and then He Himself watches over that word until it comes to fruition. Our busyness does not expedite the process. It actually hinders and slows it down. We, we have an idea that we can extort the promises of God, take by force. We, we think that if we do this, this, and this, we can take God's promises and get to them five years faster. And what we don't realize is we're actually slowing things way down, which I think we need to do anyway. I, I really, I think... I re- how far do we go? I, I think the church needs to start thinking in terms of we're going to be here a while. I'm, I'm preparing a bride that is pure and spotless, not a bride that is desperate, hoping I escape this big, bad world. I'm preparing a bride that when he comes back says, come, Lord, come. That, the, the prayer of all the apostles and the early church was, come, Lord Jesus, come. Do you think he answered the prayer? Why? Why do I do this? Do you, do you think that Jesus, do you think that he answered their prayer? Come, Lord, come. Most today would say no. I argue he did on a daily basis. Hmm. I'm not saying we need to be late. I'm saying the only thing that Jesus commanded us to do with our life was seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, worry about nothing, and he'll take care of the rest after that. That's the only thing Jesus, he said, <clears throat> worry for nothing, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He'll take care of everything else. That's all he said. Don't make it complicated. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and worry about nothing after that. Okay. Make sure. Let me just hit this real quick. Luke 10, 41 and 42 says this. Martha, my beloved Martha, why are you upset and troubled, pulled away by all these many distractions? Are they really important? Mary has discovered the one thing, the most important thing, by choosing to sit at my feet. She is undistracted, and I won't take this privilege from her. Jesus shows up to the home of Mary and Martha, and Martha starts busting it, making arrangements for Jesus Christ to be in her home. Her sister Mary is sitting on the floor listening to everything that he says. Martha's in the kitchen burning it, She gets worn out, goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, are you not going to tell Mary to come help me out? And he says, Martha, look, I love you, but you're distracted with stuff that does not matter. She has chosen the one thing, and I won't take it from her, and it's to sit at my feet and listen. And we have today in our society this idea that all Christians have to operate as Marthas, where we're running around trying to save the globe. I believe we can save the globe a lot more effectively by choosing to stay at his feet than burning it up in the kitchen. You understand that? I believe pastors would be a lot more happier and stay pastors longer than five years if they were content to stay at his feet and trust for the rest. This is his, you said this, this is his church, not mine. I can do nothing to expedite the process of what he wants to do in his church. 
This is his church. So I'm not going to be a Martha that runs around, runs around and tries to make things happen that he actually wants to make happen on our behalf. I'm going to stay at his feet and trust whatever he wants for us on a weekly basis, he'll bring to us on a weekly basis. But I sure am not getting up from his feet. So make sure the pursuit of your purpose doesn't become a stumbling block for your purpose. Make sure the pursuit of your purpose doesn't become a stumbling block for your purpose. What was the Shulamite doing in Song of Songs? Ministry. What was Martha doing? In Luke 10, ministry. And both were burned out. They were doing great things. It wasn't what they were doing that was the issue. The issue is what they were doing became who they were. Doing ministry is awesome. But when ministry becomes the idol that you worship at rather than serving the feet of Jesus the rest of your life, ministry becomes a bad thing. Trust me. I worshiped at the idol of ministry for years and had awesome success at it. I'll take this today over the best day of that 100% of the time. Because here I'm free, there I was in bondage has nothing to do with the environment. The environment was great. What they were doing was great. It had everything to do with my interior world. I was approaching God based on the fact that we had more people that Sunday than we had last Sunday, and the Lord is really moving because more people showed up. Until I read through the book of Acts and in Jesus' ministry, when most of the time they spent doing church, watching people walk out the door and never come back. At one point, Jesus' ministry was about 50,000 people in one moment after he fed the 5,000 men. I I believe it was more 30, 40, 50,000 if you include women and children. But anyway, even 5,000, let's say 5,000 men, let's just leave them. At one point, 5,000 people. Great ministry. If you're going by people. If if, If numbers is your thing, great success. Good job, Jesus. Why'd you let him go? unless he was searching out and finding the more excellent way. Narrow is the gate and the way that leads to eternal life, and only a few find it. That's what, that's what he said. And I, I said this, this was something I wrote down in my journal way back, that Jesus spoke to me one day and said, if you find yourself on a path that everybody else is on, you can guarantee you haven't found the small way. Chris Valentin had a, a message a couple of weeks ago at Bethel that I thought was really cool. And he, he talked about how if we are made in the image of God, that means we are literally mirrors reflecting God's image back to him. Okay? If, if you're made, I'm almost done, so just hang with me. If you're made in the image of God, when God looks at you, he should see himself. Because you look like God. You're in his image. Okay? Any view of God that we have that is an illegitimate view of God will always reflect back onto how we see ourselves too. So, so if we see God as sometimes good, then we'll start getting busy. Because he may not come through this time. And what we're doing is if you look at your life, because I, I, stru- I struggle with this a lot. I want to be busy, which reveals my lack of trust. That's me. But if you look at your life and it's just burning it, burning it, burning it, burning it, burning it, you need to stop and say, why am I doing that? And where are the views of God wrong in my life that makes me feel like I have to be dead tired 100% of the time and burning on both ends or else this thing ain't going to make it? And the, the great irony that I've realized is that you'll actually not make it by trying to make it on your own. Some of the stories that we have in this church, God has provided for us. 
He has provided exponentially for us. The size of church we are, we should not be talking about hiring other full-time staff members unless the Lord has been faithful month in and month out. Yet we have tens of thousands of dollars in this church just in savings. How? How is that possible? Unless he's good. Do, do, do you understand this? Every pastor I talk to that's two years into ministry, they're like, man, we got debt up to our eyeballs. We don't know if we're going to make it next month. And I'm like, that's not, man, I hate that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It, I'm not saying they're doing anything wrong. I'm, I, you know what I'm saying? I'm just saying, you know what we've done? Been still. You know what he's done? Built his church. Can you believe, you know, we, we, get, we get busy when we start thinking it's on us to accomplish something. We start thinking it's on us to accomplish something when we don't trust. Let me ask you this question. What areas of your life are you busy because you don't trust God can handle them? If time is your greatest resource, which I believe it is, if time is your greatest resource, what is getting the best and most of your greatest resource? Let me say it like this. Um, if time is your best resource, what's getting the best portions of it and the most portions of it? This is a real, just a real easy test. You can look at your life. All right, I got 24 hours in a day. Where's all that time going? Is it a lot of it's going to God? And a lot of it's going to intimacy with him, and then we'll just figure out what happens with the rest of it. Or is it job here, life here, this broke here, got to take care of this here. Maybe next week I can get to my Bible. You understand that? And, and I, I can hear it now. I can hear your brains now. You don't understand. No, I do understand. I don't have to understand. I'm telling you what the kingdom works off of. I don't, need, I don't need the world to tell me how busy people need to be. I need to tell you how not busy you need to be and trust that when you become unbusy, he'll start filling in the gaps. That's what faith is. When did we ever become people who stop living by faith? Man, here we go. I'm almost, when did we become people that stop living by faith? Can somebody tell me when that happened? I can tell you when it happened. 18th century, we shoved God into outer space and said we can do this thing on our own. And hopefully he'll come back and escape us one day because it's definitely not getting good. I'm telling you it's getting good. Do you know the age that people died when Jesus was on the earth was around 37? The lifespan of adults when Jesus was on the earth was about 37 years old. Today, it's about 70. It's getting good. I told somebody, we were joking the other day, I was like, you know, man, with the next 70, 80, 180 years I got left, part of that was a joke, part of that was, was dead serious. If Methuselah can live to about 1,000, and I'm on the other side of the cross, <laughs> there, there goes, if you're new, hey, Welcome. Um, Song of Songs 1-7, she says, I'm done being burned out. I'm almost done. Tell me where, you can, where I can find rest, okay? Verse 7, she says, Where do you lead your beloved ones to find rest in the heat of the day? For I wish to be wrapped around you. It's you I long for with no veil between us. Here's how he finishes this. You ready? She asks, where can I go to rest? Where can I find rest and find where I'm meant to be? And he says this, listen, my radiant one, if you ever lose sight of me, just follow in my footsteps where I lead my lovers. Come with your burdens and cares. Come to the place near the sanctuary of my shepherds. My dearest one, let me tell you how I see you. I have that circled and highlighted and everything else. Remember, I'm unworthy. I'm nothing. Just a sinner saved by grace. You know, whatever. And he says, no, no, no. Look, if you have ears to hear, let me tell you what I think. So just receive this as I'm reading it. 
you are thrilling to me. To gaze upon you is like looking at one of Pharaoh's finest horses, a strong, regal steed pulling his royal chariot. Your tender cheeks are aglow. Your earrings and gem-laden necklaces set them ablaze. We will enhance your beauty, encircling you with our golden reins of love. You will be marked with our redeeming grace. I'm nothing. I'm unworthy. I'm burned out. I've been tending all these ministry things. Just tell me where I can go to find you. And he says, let me show you something. Come here. You're thrilling to me. For somebody who is dry, burned out, thinks he's disappointed in them, to then turn around and hear the whisper of the bridegroom, I don't just talk. You are thrilling to me. I think, I think America would be saved if we could ever hear him whisper, I, you are thrilling to me. What happens when you transition from busyness to desiring one thing, which is what she does? She, she tends all these ministry vineyards. She says, my interior vineyard is not good and I just won't rest. And he says, let me show you. Bring all your burdens and care because I'm about to exchange them too, but let me show you. And the rest of the book of Song of Songs, do you know what she's doing? Skipping over mountains, leaping for joy, invited into deeper devotion. Do you know what is not recorded in the entire rest of the book? going back and tending other people's vineyards. She asks, where can I find rest? And then goes on this journey of discovering who she is in his eyes. He never called her anything but lovely. This is the end. If you want to play, start some music. Or Thomas, you want to come play keys? There we go. Boom, boom. Let me turn them on for you. By the way, if anybody plays keys, let me your email before you leave. Um, just kidding. I love playing keys. Um, yet. Um, he never at any point called her anything but lovely. Because she never had the trust to anchor her life around her interior vineyard's health, health, she reflected to him the overgrown, unintended, untended version of her identity. Let me say it like this. If I could get a little less of the keys, too. Um, he never calls her anything but lovely. In, in her original state, he always called her lovely. But because she never had the trust to anchor her life on her interior vineyard's health, she reflected to him the overgrown, untended version of her identity. It was a delusion. That's what I want. Her seeing herself as unworthy was delusional. That didn't exist. He, in, in her worst state, he called her so lovely. Not just lovely. You are so lovely. Let me tell you how I see you. You are thrilling to me. To gaze upon you is to gaze at one of Pharaoh's strongest horses. Strength. Let me say it like this. You don't feel dark and unworthy because he calls you that. You feel dark and unworthy when you tune out the whisper that says you're so lovely. You do not feel dark and unworthy because he calls you that, because he doesn't. You feel dark and unworthy when you start turning up your thoughts above his whisper. If you could ever start tuning back into the frequency of the kingdom, you'll start hearing, you are so lovely. I wake up on the mornings when I feel like I want to give this thing up. Wake up, go to him and say, Lord, if there's somebody who can do this better, let me know. And he says, no, 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 you're so lovely. He's saying that to you too, if you would listen. 
man, I just, you, you just don't, I, I don't know how I can get out of this situation. I know I'm busy. I hear everything that Josh is saying. I just don't know how I can get there. And he's saying, no, no, no. Let, let me bring your cares and burdens here. I'll tell you what I think. No, it's not, none of this is on you. First Samuel 16, 7, I'm going to end with this. says this. He says, people judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. When was he saying this? When he was about to anoint David, the one that no one thought should be king. He says, Samuel, hold up, hold up. He don't look like the king, but he's got an interior world that's going to govern this nation. People spend their whole lives working on a side of them that he's not even looking at. People judge by the outward appearance, but God is looking at your heart. So we'll spend our entire lives working on a side of us that he's not even looking at. Do you understand this? We'll spend our whole lives making sure our outward appearing life is solid. He's not even, he's looking at your heart. So while we, while weeds are growing up on your interior world, but your outside world is spotless, he's going, your outside world is great. All I can see is the weeds. And if all he's focused on is the heart, let me tell you where he's coming after. If he's coming after you, your heart. And if he's going to come after your heart, it's going to require a toppling of the idols that we've built around us that we have worshipped on a greater, more all-giving scale than we worship God. Anything in our lives that we've chosen over him is by definition an idol. And all the kings of Israel, the good and the bad, no one could ever get to the point where they tore down the high places of worship. And part of my call in this city is to make sure that the high places are torn down. That's going to require all the idols to go. What, what do we worship at the foot of that is not God? Your career is great. I had a career too one day. Your, your career is great. I'm going to say this. In, he cares about your career. He cares about your interior world more. And if it requires your career to fall for your interior world to be healthy, he's willing to make that sacrifice. And that's why it says, unless you are willing to lose your life, you'll never find it. Because he will come after the stuff that will cause you to have to make the decision, I'm willing to lay my life down in order to inherit life. And this isn't for everybody, but as we're going through Song of Songs, I had to stop here because there's so much in our current postmodern American church that says if the exterior is healthy, who cares about the interior? And I'm saying Dream Church will exclusively be, exclusively be an inside-out church, not an outside-in. We try, we try to bring all these people in and do all these events and hope the interior world will get fixed in the process. And I'm telling you, we're going to fix the interior world and then watch Yahweh explode in the exterior world. And we're all going to be happy and healthy doing it. I can be a great dad and a great pastor at the same time. Not a lot of people are. I can be that at the same time. And you know what it's going to require? Inside out. Me knowing that as long as I'm at his feet, he's got everything else under control. I don't have to work a thousand hours a week. Let me say this prophetically. You don't have to work a thousand hours a week. Maybe we should take up another offering. I don't know, but... Right? He, he, he spoke this to me this morning. I'm done. That's all I got. He spoke this to me this morning on the way here. That he, he's coming after us. 
China, I said this, China and all other countries are being radically saved right now. Radically saved right now. With no buildings, no churches, no big time preachers, maybe one page of a Bible. And I I, I saw this in the spirit this morning. I saw him looking at us as a country and saying the way that he's going to fix us is not through bringing hurricanes and saying it's the judgment of God. You know how he's going to fix it? He's going to raise up groups of people that are so in love with him, they actually begin looking like the one they're supposed to look like. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more information, visit dreamcolumbia.com.